Good morning, everyone. I heard one good morning. Thank you, Angela, for that good morning. Oh, there you go. Thank you, Kaylin. Okay, there we go. I got three. Hey, if you're a guest with us, welcome. My name is Alex. I'm the pastor of Cascades, and our mission as a church is to help lead people become fully devoted followers of Jesus and his way. And through the months of July and August, we're going to be going through uh, the fruit of the Spirit, which you can find in the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. Today we're going to be uh, talking about joy. Now, in the beginning of 2020, I felt the Lord saying he wanted me to have his joy. Maybe that wasn't really present in my life, and that's why I needed to highlight that. But over the next couple months, I, I sought to be intentional about being someone who was joyful. Then the pandemic hit in March. And it was really about learning to have his joy in the midst of what was a difficult year. And since then, I've been paying attention to joy in my life, what he says about joy, where, do, where I look for joy, and cultivating joy. One of the clearest things I've discerned is that I'm most joyful when I am closely walking and intentionally walking with Jesus. Even if things are hard, there's a joy that sustains me. Joy is possible. And in the letter to the church in Galatia, Paul writes of walking and living in the Spirit. When we walk by the Spirit, God will lead us in ways that reflect and embody the character of Jesus himself. Namely, characteristics like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And this morning, I want to examine how joy is a sign of the Holy Spirit's renewing work in us. I want to highlight some obstacles or threats to our joy and how the Spirit enables us to have joy in the midst of suffering. So we're going to read from Galatians 5, verses 22 through to 25. And this is what it reads. But the Spirit, or sorry, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with, flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Father in heaven, we thank you for your Son, Jesus, who came to us and made you known. And we thank you for the gift of the Spirit, who enables us to trust and obey and live the life that Jesus came to call us to. Today we ask that you would be known as the God who brings joy to those who put their trust in your Son. And so give us ears to hear you, and eyes to see the things you want us to see, and a heart to respond and trust. We pray this for your glory and our joy, Lord. Amen. This morning, I want to suggest that joy is a product of surrendering to Jesus and trusting him with your life. Really complicated, I know. Very simple idea. Joy is a product of surrendering to Jesus and trusting him with your life. To surrender to Jesus and to trust him is, uh, with your life is to walk in step with the Spirit. And the fruit of that, or product of that, is joy. Now, I want to just lay out a couple things about the context of this book, Galatians it's really a letter to the church in Galatia. And a central theme is this. Faith in Jesus Christ is what restores us to and keeps us in right relationship with God, not works of the law. 
the church in Galatia, people had come after Paul had planted a church and was teaching there, they started teaching something else. They started teaching that it was faith in Jesus plus abiding by specific commands of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, of the Old Testament. And then Galatians had embraced that teaching and also uh, uh, believing in Jesus and abiding by the Torah. And so they believed that in order to be in right relationship with God, you had to obey these other commands in the Old Testament that were specific to Israel. Men needed to be circumcised. They needed to observe special days and months and seasons and years. Essentially, they believed that they had to become Jews first in order to receive salvation. And Paul has a goal then, and a central goal in Paul's letter is to have the church return to their calling to, quote, live in the grace of Christ, as he puts in Galatians 1, 6. He says that the church in Galatia has actually abandoned that call and embraced a different gospel, which he says isn't even a gospel. So part of his goal is to have the church return to that call. Now, in chapter 5, where we are, Paul uh, contrasts the fruit of the Spirit, which we just read, with the works or acts of the flesh in verses 19 and 21. And the Spirit that is being talked about here is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, meaning that the nine characteristics or fruit of the Spirit are from God. You could say God is love, God is joyful, God is peace. And he plants, nurtures, and grows these things in you. Joy is one of those products of walking in step with the Spirit, of being led by the Spirit, of surrendering your life to Jesus. And Spirit empowers you to live the new life that Jesus calls you to live by faith. Now, we can't do that on our own. No one else but the Holy Spirit's presence in our life can do this. So that's just a little bit of context. I want to set us up with that because we're jumping in partway through a letter. And if you don't have that context, you won't always be able to appreciate what's going on. But I also just want to answer this one question about joy. What is it? Make sense of that for us. So joy, I really like this um, definition that Shayan Youngin uh, offers. She highlights what other biblical translators highlight, namely the etymological connection between words like joy, karas, rejoice, kairo, and grace, charis. Karas, kairo, charis. They all share the same root. They come from this fundamental uh, meaning, joy is rooted in the awareness of the undeserved favor and grace of God towards you, she says. And I appreciated this understanding, this, this connection between the grace of God, this unmerited favor towards us, and this awareness, and how that bring, this brings up joy in our lives, this awareness of his joy. See, joy gets planted in you when you believe the good news of Jesus Christ. It is what sprouts up in you as you begin to live by the Spirit, not in your own strength. The joy is what the Spirit will produce in you as he leads you in the way of Jesus. Why? Well, because Jesus loved you and gave himself up for you. He laid down his life for you to set you free from your old and fallen nature, the flesh, to set you free from death, to set you free from the spiritual forces of evil. But what he planted in you is the Holy Spirit, his empowering presence, and joy is what begins to bubble up in you as you trust and follow his son, Jesus, in all these different parts of our lives. Now, here's one of the things that I notice. If you read the book of Galatians, it's really short, just six chapters. 
And yet, as far as I can see, there are like four threats to walking in step with the Spirit. Which means there are also four threats to experiencing God's love, God's joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are four threats to the fruit of the Spirit. We're also, we could also say they're four threats to the joy of God in our lives. And so I want to just highlight these four. You'll see them behind you. One, living in another story. Two, living in our own strength. Three, living out of our old identities. And four, habitually engaging in selfish practices. These are four threats to the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. This first one, living in another story, you can see at the very beginning of Galatians. Galatians 1, verses 6 and 7, Paul writes, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Gospel just means good news. The gospel that Paul proclaimed was that we are called by God to live in the grace of Jesus Christ by faith, by trust, by trusting in him and his work. And when we, we, when we abandon the call of God to live in the gift of Jesus Christ, we abandon the source of love, of joy, of peace. When we embrace another gospel, we're entering into a different story. The gospel proclaims that Christ loves you, that he died for you, that the kingdom of heaven is breaking into the present, that God has come to you in Jesus, and that he has decisively dealt with evil and sin and death in our world, and he's actively restoring humanity and his creation. Now, we may not embrace what the Galatian church had at that time, this alternative story, right, where it's Jesus plus this, uh, plus practicing these Old Testament commands, but we easily enter into a vision and story of life where we believe in Jesus, but we make something else greater. We believe in Jesus, however, he's not at the center. He's not ruling and reigning, bringing redemption. It's something else that's at the center. And when you make yourself or anyone else or anything else other than Jesus the center of your story, you're not living in the grace of Christ. You're not living in the story of God. You've entered into a different story and returned to the flesh, asserting yourself or someone else over Jesus. And it doesn't lead to joy, but to despair. Let me give you an example. Some of you may have heard the word joy, and one of the thoughts that came to you was like, you want me to have joy. You want me to smile. And you think of I won't name anyone, but like a televangelist with a big grin. And you're like, that's what you want me to have, that kind of joy, that kind of smile. Joy is a product of the Spirit, only if you're naive and ignorant of all the pain and suffering in the world. Beneath that idea is that you believe that joy and sorrow are incompatible, that you cannot have both at the same time. We look around our world, we read news or we hear about it, we see, we hear, we know all about life and what's happening in our world, and we think to ourselves, I can't be joyful. Not when all of this is happening. Not when there's these broken relationships between family members and friends. Not when my hopes remain unfulfilled and all I seem to encounter is loss after loss. Not when I see all that I am lacking physically, financially, occupationally, romantically, not when I face my sin, 
my pride, my selfishness, my fears, all the ways I've failed. Not when I look at the suffering and injustice and disappointment in the world. Joy is incompatible, we say, with the sorrow that I carry within me. It's not appropriate for me to actually have joy when others suffer, when I am suffering. And what I would want to say to you is that you're only half right. And that's not the story of the Bible. It's not the story that God wants you to live in. Sorrow is real. Grief is appropriate. Jesus is not asking you to suppress your pain when you follow him. He is asking you to let his spirit enter into your sorrow, to be with you in it. You see, the Bible teaches that Jesus was a man of sorrows. Isaiah 53 reads, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We serve and worship and follow a God who sees, hears, and knows the pain we go through and who willingly enters into all of it by becoming one of us and dying for us. Joy does not suppress grief. Joy preserves us in the midst of our grief. The Bible is full of this tension, this theme of joy and grief at the same time. James will write at the beginning of his letter, count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. Count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. Paul will tell the church in Thessalonica in chapter 1, verse 6, you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. In the midst of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with joy. God's joy is like this boy that prevents us from sinking into despair as we experience suffering and sorrow. The joy of the Lord is what sustains us and strengthens us through these times. Jesus was a man of sorrows, and yet he was also filled with joy. He is the most joyful being in all of the universe. So, when he came to our world, he came with joy. He came with joy. All that he did, he did with joy. More than that, he invited us into his joy. And this is why when Jesus in Luke 4, enters into the synagogue, says, The Spirit of the Lord God has anointed me to proclaim good news, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, release for the captives, and to bestow on them, he's, uh, if you read it, it, what he's referencing, it's Isaiah 62, and if you keep reading, what Jesus doesn't say is this part of, and to bestow on them the oil of gladness. Joy and the Spirit are a package deal. They go together. And Jesus wanted you, his disciples, to have his joy. If you read in the Gospel of John, you can see this in three consecutive chapters. John 15, 11, Jesus says to his disciples, These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. John 16, 24, Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may, may be made full. And then in John 17, Jesus is praying to the Father, and he says, but now I am coming to you, that these things I speak in the world, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. The NLT translation puts it as, your joy will overflow in that first passage. In the second one, you will have abundant joy. And in the third, that they would be filled with my joy. The full measure, not the half measure, the fullness of his joy. 
Not a trickle, not a droplet, but this rushing torrent, a cascading waterfall of joy, a cup brimming and overflowing. The way that Jesus, though, makes this joy possible for you and I is by stepping into suffering, by going to the cross. Hence, the writer of Hebrews will say, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. For what? For the joy. He was motivated by joy, the joy to come after the cross. And that joy was seeing you and I come to trust him, experiencing the life that comes from him, receiving the spirit, entering into the kingdom, being transformed. Joy doesn't suppress grief. It sustains us through our suffering. And Paul in this letter, he's highlighting these obstacles. And this is that first one of like living in another story. The gospel of Jesus Christ says God sees the suffering and enters into it and actually does something about it through the cross. And he's continuing to do something about it now through the Spirit who witnesses to what Jesus has done and makes all of his work real to us. So don't live in this terrible story that you can't have as joy because there's evil and suffering. That only leads to despair. And I think what a powerful witness to be living in our city and actually living in the joy of God. We actually need, like, whenever you see a joyful person and you be around and you're around them for long enough, you recognize there's something like, so beautiful about that. Don't live in that other story. Second threat is living in our own strength. In Galatians 3, verses 1 through 3, Paul will say, You foolish Galatians. It's one way to confront people. You fools. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? You received this new life in the Spirit by believing gospel your new life was initiated by believing this good news it started with faith it didn't start with you doing something by works of the law you heard the good news of what jesus has done and what it means for you and your world and you don't just trust once in that moment it's an ongoing thing where you are in relationship with him dependent on him and when you don't do that we get stuck when we stop trusting him, we get, we get stuck. And Paul wants us to see that we're always invited to trust, to live by faith in him. That we cannot conjure up love, joy, peace, or joy. That you can't force patience, kindness, faithfulness to sprout up in your life. You cannot manipulate your circumstances so that all that is produced is gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Joy isn't this mere product of trying really hard to be thankful thinking you have to do all this work in your life as you follow Jesus, it's not that effort doesn't matter. But that's not how this works. Plants need water, they need light, they benefit from fertilizer, but you don't bring the growth. That part is actually outside of your control. And Paul wants us to get rid of this overinflated sense of self that thinks we can live this life apart from the Holy Spirit's power. And when we do that, 
we end up in this place of exhaustion when we try to live in our own power. Because we're trying to follow Jesus to what he calls us to, but we're doing it in our own strength, in our own wisdom. And so at the end of the day, we feel discouraged, ashamed, worn out. And that's not what Jesus wants for us. That's not the life he wants for us. We cannot earn his favor, his love. Frederick Buchner, there's no uh, slide for this, but he says, grace is something you can never get but can only be given. There's no way to earn it or deserve or bring it about any more than you can bring about your birth. The grace of God means something like, here's your life. You might not have been, you are. Because the party wouldn't have been complete without you. Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Nothing can ever separate us. It's for you I created the universe. I love you. There's only one catch. Like any other gift, the gift of grace can be yours only if you'll reach out and take it. And see, the Spirit is the one who beckons us to reach out and receive the gift of God's love, of his forgiveness, of his adoption, of his life, and joys this product of trusting, following the leading of the Spirit in your life. And this is so hard for us because we can serve but be doing it out of people-pleasing rather than serving God. So on the outside, it looks like servanthood. It looks really good. But in reality, it's rooted in a fear of disappointing others. We might be frugal, and so we appear to be wise with our finances, but deep within, there's a fear of lack. We don't trust Him with our finances. We don't trust Him to provide. On the outside, it looks like prudence with our money, but again, it's rooted in fear. You can... This life that we are called to live, it begins with trust. It gets sustained with trust. And it's going to be completed through trusting Jesus in all areas of our lives. And as you trust him, he supplies what you need. So one of the things that it sounds so simple for us to do, but I, I think it's important, is actually starting our days asking him for wisdom, for help, for strength, in the seemingly small things that we're going to face in the day. It might be a difficult conversation with someone. It might be caring for your kids or your aging parents or your spouse. It might be bigger things related to work or finances. But asking him for his strength, for his wisdom, and then seeking it out. Third threat to our joy and the fruit of the Spirit in our lives is living in your old identities. In Galatians 4, verses uh, 7 through 9, Paul will say to the church in Galatia, you are no longer a slave, but God's child. Since you are his child, God has made you an heir. Formerly, you didn't know God, and so you were slaves to those who by nature are not God's. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? It sounds really weird for us if you're not familiar with this letter or the Bible in general. Paul is saying, look, before you knew Jesus, you were enslaved to elemental or uh, demonic spirits that didn't lead you to flourishing, but to oppose all that God would want in your life. Now that you are in Christ, now that you've put your trust in him, you are, have been adopted 
into the family of God. You are a child and therefore an heir. Why would you want to turn back to that? It doesn't lead to flourishing, but to strife, anxiety, selfishness, and despair. When you turn back to your old identity, old way of living, a way of life of characterized as apart from God, opposed to Him, you turn back to a way that ultimately is miserable. Paul was saying, look, by elevating obedience to the Old Testament law on par with Jesus, they, you, they were embracing this alternative gospel, a different gospel, without knowing that it was actually going to lead them right back into despair. And when we try to live in our own strength and power and follow Jesus, we find ourselves in that place of despair. Fourth obstacle is habitually engaging in selfish practices. Paul will write right before the passage we read about the fruit of the Spirit, he talks about the acts of the flesh or the works of the flesh, and this is what he says. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. The works of life are meant to describe our old life apart from God. And these aren't, this isn't like an exclusive list. This is a list of examples he gives. These are examples of our old fallen nature. That's what the flesh refers to, our old fallen nature. It doesn't love God. It doesn't love others. Therefore, there's always relational breakdown between you and God, between you and others, within yourself. And the life of the flesh and the life of the spirit they are incompatible. They're different worlds, two different ways of living, and yet they're not equal. It's not like you have the old flesh here and it's just as strong as the spirit. That's not what Paul is actually highlighting. One is dead and the other is alive. One brings life. And if you're a follower of Jesus, these are old things. They're not part of your life anymore. They are not a habitual thing in your life anymore. And the reason for that is really vital. In verse 24, Paul says that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified their flesh. When you surrender to Jesus, you stop saying that you are the ultimate sovereign in your life, the main character in your life, and you do something to your flesh in that moment. You sentence it to death. You crucify it and put it to death. Because when you identify with him, you're choosing to follow him into death so that just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father and the power of the Spirit, you too can walk in this newness of life. The Spirit raises us to new life. It's the life of Christ in us. And this is ultimately why you see this word fruit that Paul uses. If you notice, Paul doesn't say the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of the flesh. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say the works of the Spirit and the works of the flesh. Works puts an emphasis on this human endeavor, but the fruit is something that we can't force to come out. It puts the emphasis on God's divine empowerment because what makes you right with God is trusting His Son, Jesus. And what enables you to obey and follow Him is the Holy Spirit. And this is why faith is so central to life with God. Because without faith or trust, there's no real basis for a relationship with Him. And you can't move ahead. You can't move with Him. 
You can't even begin. And that's why faith is so vital in these four threats. They highlight why we feel so much resistance in our lives towards trusting him. In the little things and in the big things. But the call for all of us here is to return to this invitation to live in and receive the gift of Jesus Christ. To trust his wisdom as he makes known to us in Scripture. To trust in his strength over and above our own. To receive and live from identities as children of God with a new character and a new nature, planted by Christ, nourished by the Spirit. You're a new creation. And see, when you walk by the Spirit, the Spirit is more than able to give you the strength to trust and love God and love others the way He does. And so the, the invitation for us is so simple and yet so challenging. It's to trust him, to say, Lord, I, I want to trust you with my life, with all of my life. Those parts that I feel fear in, I want to actually experience the joy that you have for me. Lead me. I don't want to be the main character in the story of life. I want you to be the center. I want you to be the one. And, you know, Scripture will remind us that maybe you heard one of these and you're like, man, that's me. The Bible says, like, if we confess our sins to God, he is just to forgive. That he is quick to give us a new start. That he is gracious and compassionate. He draws near to the humble. So, Father in heaven, we come before you. And we recognize that there are these different threats to the joy that you would have for us. But we also believe, Lord, that the one that you have given us, the Holy Spirit, is greater than the one in the world. It's greater than our flesh, stronger or mighty. We believe, Lord, that you can lead us. And so, Lord, right now we just want to say we want to turn from things that we have trusted in our own wisdom or our own strength. God, I just confess the tiring results that that leads to. I'm just feeling disappointed with ourselves for not demonstrating kindness or patience to others. I'm not showing love, but instead selfishness, Lord. And God, we see the relational fallout with our friends, our family members, or coworkers. And we ask for your forgiveness. We want to be filled with your life, with your love, with your joy, with your peace, and all the fruit of the Spirit. And so, Lord, as we turn away from those things, would you fill us, Lord, with more of you? We thank you, God, for your power made perfect in our weakness. So we want to hide where we feel weak, Lord. We want to ask for more of you in those very places. This week, would you lead us in our workplaces, God? In our homes, in our neighborhoods. Would you lead us, God, in those places where we just feel we don't have it? 
and we haven't for a while. Would you breathe new life into that very place? And would you lead us in your joy, Lord Jesus? I pray this in your name. Amen.